Employee frustration can be difficult to diagnose. Common symptoms may include keyboard thrashing, oh. aggressive hair pulling, anxious sobbing, <laughs> and the royal I quit. If you detect one or more of these, your team may be infected with the highly contagious software frustritis. Don't panic. WalkMe's contextual guidance simplifies any software, providing an intuitive and hassle-free user experience. Everybody wins. Gets more done. Join thousands of leading enterprises that simplify their workflow with WalkMe. WalkMe. Get started now. Introducing the new era of digital identity with SoCure, the leading provider of digital identity verification solutions. The world is shifting to digital services. More and more people are expecting everyday transactions and government services to be readily available online. But this shift has also created new opportunities for fraudsters and identity thieves, which can put individuals and organizations at risk. That's why SoCure has developed a suite of cutting-edge digital identity verification solutions that can help prevent fraud while also ensuring equitable access for all demographics. SoCure leverages machine learning, AI, and biometric capture to provide fast and accurate verification, even for those without traditional forms of identification. Whether you're a government agency looking to modernize your identity verification processes or a business looking to protect your customers and prevent fraud, SoCure has the expertise and technology to help. Join the digital identity revolution with SoCure and help build a more secure, efficient, and equitable world. Visit SoCure.com to learn more. That's S-O-C-U-R-E.com. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. I'll take cybersecurity. In that case, we're working with organizations like CISA, and they're the subject matter experts. They're driving the policy. What we're doing is looking at how do we help agencies operationalize that policy. And um, let's take zero trust architecture, for example. This is an area where we saw the need. So my team began working on building out a buyer's guide that helps and not only put all of the policies in one place for the agencies that are looking to implement a zero trust architecture, but we're also going out and looking at the market and saying, here's the products, the services, here's where you can find them, um, and here's, here's actions that you can take on behalf of moving your agency towards implementation of ZTA to be in compliance with that policy. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. We've had a lot of conversations on this podcast over the last three and a half years. Can't believe it's been that long. Wow. And conversations have been about technology and industry and so on, but something we haven't gone deep into. We've talked about it, but not deep into is acquisition and procurement. Well, today, I have someone who is leading these efforts in government, and I'm talking about none other than Laura Stan, the Assistant Commissioner 
for the Office of Information Technology category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service. The Federal Acquisition Service provides buying platforms and acquisition services to federal, DOD, state, and local governments for a broad range of items from office supplies and motor vehicles to IT and telecommunications products and services. As an organization within the Federal Acquisition Service, ITC provides access to a wide range of commercial and custom IT products, services, and solutions. And as Assistant Commissioner, Laura manages the largest fee-for-service IT procurement and services operation in the U.S. government. She leads a highly skilled and diverse workforce that manages more than 6,000 contracts, providing access to relevant and timely IT and telecommunications products, services, and solutions to defense and civilian agencies, as well as to state, local, and tribal governments. ITC facilitates more than $32 billion in annual government spending and has provided nearly $2 billion in savings to its customers. In this episode, we're going to cover a lot, including the lessons learned from the pandemic that have been carried into today, what parts of the process she wants to change, and how the IT professional services SIN can help accelerate procurements. So if you're in the industry, you're going to want to hear her answer. Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Brian, for the invitation. I'm happy to happy to join you. Yeah, of course. And honestly, you have a, a big role at GSA. Obviously, there's been a lot going on around procurement, uh, especially during the pandemic, a lot of challenges that were faced by all government agencies. But if you could just give your listener or give our listeners a little bit of a glimpse into uh, what your role is at GSA. Um, happy to do so. So I'm the assistant commissioner for the IT category and the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. And, you know, what does that really mean (laughs) is what it comes down to. Um, I have about 650 acquisition and IT experts who work to really understand the federal, the commercial IT market, and also work to understand government and the missions of the different agencies and the requirements that they're required, that they need to meet. Um, And we're that intersection between industry and government. So we work very closely, as I said, with industry to understand uh, what are the trends, what are the emerging technologies, what are the commercial practices when it comes to both pricing, business models, and also best, you know, best, uh, best practices when it comes to technology. On the government side, we spend a lot of time with the federal agencies to understand what challenges they're trying to solve in order to meet their mission. And we're, what we're doing with all of that information is we're putting in place government-wide acquisition vehicles that can be used by both um, federal agencies and in some cases by state, local, and tribal governments uh, to be able to acquire the right sets of products and services and solutions to be able to meet their needs. To give you an idea of the scope, we have approximately about 6,000 contracts in the portfolio and did just under $34 billion last year. The second half of my responsibility um, is the OMB appointed government-wide IT category manager. So with that, in that role, I work across all of the best-in-class contracts to include the ones at GSA, but also the ones at NASA, NASA, NIH, DOD, and really am taking a hard look across uh, the 70, 70 plus billion dollars in federal IT spend. 
So, um, but with both cases, really focused on the customer commitment, making sure that we're that the acquisitions that we're doing are in are supporting compliance and making it easier for the agencies, the convenience, and the cost savings. It's got to be tough for you and your team to kind of keep up with trends, especially around emerging technologies and and things that can be beneficial to government. Where do you guys go to access some of this information to really stay? Um, we've been so we've been really focused on building out more of an emerging technology roadmap um, or radar, actually, is what we're calling it. But in order to be be able to help the acquisition and the government community understand what's coming and anticipate their their impact on the private sector, so we're using um, any number of services and expertise to be able to understand where things what's happening in artificial intelligence, mobile communications, cybersecurity, sustainable technologies for climate, as that as all of that is helping agencies get the tools that they need to for their missions. Um, we've also started looking at the life cycle of different technologies and working on a common language in, inside of ITC to be able to describe this early phase and talk about the tools um, and visualize technology's progress towards commercial ad adaptation and then ultimately into the what's best suited for those government use cases. As there certainly are some technologies that are more suited towards the consumer and there's others that are certainly better suited towards enterprise use cases. And all of that is helping us become more literate and smooth the way for widespread acquisition as these technologies become mainstream. Where does policy fall into this, this discussion? Because you mentioned artificial intelligence. I'll just, I'll steal mm -hmm. that one. I mean, there's so much conversation right now around AI, especially generative AI. And not only artificial intelligence, but all technologies really have such a pace of acceleration in terms of getting to consumers, getting into the market, making mm -hmm. impacts, but policy sometimes kind of lags behind. Where does policy happen in your discussions around these emerging technologies? So in our case, we also are that intersection between, um, we work very closely with the National Institutes of Standard and Technology. We work with the Office of Management and Budget. I'll take cybersecurity. In that case, we're working with organizations like CISA. And they're the subject matter experts. They're driving the policy. What we're doing is looking at how do we help agencies operationalize that policy. And um, let's take zero trust architecture, for example. This is an area where we saw the need. So my team began working on building out a buyer's guide that helps in not only put all of the policies in one place, for the agencies that are looking to implement a zero trust architecture. But we're also going out and looking at the market and saying, here's the products, the services, here's where you can find them. Um, and here's, here's actions that you can take on behalf of moving your agency towards implementation of ZTA to be in compliance of that policy. Interesting. So as you were describing your role, I mean, first of all, the fact that you had you broke it down into two parts, I think the first part was probably more than enough for any one person. So you have a lot going on. But in all of this, what's a common misconception that you get with your role? I'm sure you engage with, especially the private sector all the time, but, but what are some things that people might not understand about your role? 
I think one of the big ones is I've been in any number of discussions where industry believes that we're responsible for buying on either on behalf of the government or on behalf of GSA. And that's just where I will do a public service announcement, Brian, and say um, that's the importance of researching your, your meetings prior to actually uh, having them. Um, because my team is really responsible for creating that marketplace that I'm that I'm discussing, bringing those commercial capabilities into the federal IT market space and understanding how industry operates in order to create the best marketplaces and share those best practices. We've really beyond, gone beyond just taking commercial catalogs and putting them on the multiple award schedules. The workforce has really deep knowledge of the categories we're managing across IT, and we dedicate a tremendous amount of time to understanding the commercial market and best practices and to bring those lessons back to the government. We partner closely with other agencies to provide the expertise when we need it, such as the example that I just gave about CISA. Um, they, they reviewed our, our Zero Trust Buyer's Guide prior to, to us releasing it. We also, um, they worked with us to develop the requirements um, for our highly adaptive cybersecurity special item number. Um, in the case of financial management services, we worked with Treasury to define the requirements and create a marketplace for their quality shared services office on financial management systems. So those, those are situations where uh, we recognize that there, there may be other, there's certainly expertise across the government and we work to identify that and partner with those agencies to make sure that we're we're building the right sets of requirements and getting the right supplier base that federal agencies can use. I think, I mean, you and your team obviously play a really big part in making sure that technologies that are out there can be enveloped into the enterprise within government um, to make an impact, right? And I, I'm curious if if there are people in the private sector out there that want to engage your team to try to try to help out in government and make an impact. You said, and and I appreciate that PSA because you're absolutely right. You need to research your meetings. You guys aren't the buyers. You're you're more of the influencers. But what are some of the best ways to engage with your team and help educate um, on the onto the government side? So first of all, I think that's the first time I've ever gotten to be called an influencer. So thank you, Brian. <laughs> um, your following just went up, Laura. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, but really, one of, the, one of the big things is oftentimes one of the only ways that industry can engage the government is through acquisition. It's through the requests for information, the requests for quote, the requests for proposals, the industry days. But all of that is often related to an acquisition. And so one of the and, and, and around a specific set of requirements. So getting to the knowledge that is what's emerging, what, what are the trends, what are some of the bigger challenges? That's when really going to the, uh, um, the non, some of the nonprofit or private, public and private sector industry associations really becomes critical for us to be able to have conversations, to be able to understand some of the larger landscape that we're working in. So that's a way that we're able to, that we have to engage on topics such as, uh, we've been just talking about emerging technology. We've, um, we also have a, certainly a network in telecommunications uh, working groups where we understand what's happening in that area. 
acquisition conversations um, outside of the scope of an, an individual acquisition and acquisition trends. Things along those lines, those conversations and that engagement to um, and the reports that come out of these, these public-private partnerships are really helpful to understanding, getting a broader understanding of what does the acquisition and the technology landscape look like. I'm glad you brought up those third-party groups. Um, I know one of the one of the big ones, and I know you're engaged with them, is ACT IAC. What I know you touched on it a little uh, a little bit there, but what impact do organizations like that have to government buyers? How are they really influencing the way that government is taking a look at different technologies and different programs and building for the future? So I, you you listed ACDIAC. I would also put in Coalition for Government Procurement, ATHARC, Professional Services Council, as well as any other, as well as a number of others. Those are great forums for convening both academics and industry experts along with the government to tackle some of those harder problems. Like what's happening in with quantum computing? What does the government need to know about? I was just listening to a podcast this morning about quantum computing and discuss and that under that very topic. Um, also understanding supply chain challenges. We mentioned artificial intelligence earlier, reports on what the agencies need to be thinking about with artificial intelligence. All of this provides an additional engagement channel other than, as I said, other than just through the acquisition. And those become critical for us to be able to look to the future. Makes a lot of sense. I think one of the things that I hear all the time from leaders like yourself is they're looking for the private sector to not just sell to them, but really roll up their sleeves and kind of jump in, jump into the challenges with them and figure it out. And I think these are the perfect forums for just that to to not only bring any type of uh, intelligent solutions into these things, but also build trust within the community. I think that's vital. I do think that building relationships is key. We're tackling some of the biggest challenges um, on a scale that most organizations can't even imagine. And to be able to understand what is coming or what have been what have been solutions that work in um, around the world, what have been solutions that have worked at state and local levels, what have been and and how do they scale to the federal sector? All of that requires having channels in which we can exchange information freely, trust each other that there is a good intent behind that, and trust that we're going to tackle the challenges together. Um, and that is critical because the government relies on these commercial capabilities and companies have visibility into how they've solved these challenges for other clients. And so to be able to build on that and to be able to understand those case studies and, and then also look at, as, I, as I've talked about, the trends and what's coming next and what the use cases for, for that emerging technology is, all become part of a very critical knowledge base that the government needs to be able to use in order to really serve the best for the American public and for the federal agencies. You said something interesting there, and I want to call it out because I don't hear it all the time. You said looking around the world to see the different use cases and kind of what's working and what's not, essentially. How much do you really look outside of the U.S., and how much are you influenced by 
the what other governments are doing in leveraging technologies? One of the things that the Federal Acquisition Service has been doing for some time is a trilateral with the United Kingdom and the Canadian government. And so being able to exchange best practices about how they've approached some of the same challenges, um, the how do they build their e-commerce marketplaces? How have they implemented category management? Where have they had challenges on technology? Being able to understand what's worked and what hasn't um, in those countries uh, offers insights into ways that we ought to think about things. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, it's not something that I hear all the time. So I really wanted to double click on that. One of the one of the podcasts that I listened to, you you mentioned you were listening to a podcast the other day, and it made me think. One of the podcasts I love listening to is Jay Shetty. And one of the questions he asks every single guest that comes on, he has a final five. And the last question he asked them is, if you could create any law that everyone had to follow, what would that be? But I, I want to augment that question real quick. And I want to know if you could change any part of the procurement process, what would that change look like? I'm constantly looking at ways that we can improve our improve the processes. But the big one, I would say, is communication. I think you're going to hear that as a constant theme, both relationship building and communication. Um, I've been working to expand the communications that we've been giving out just out of the IT category and increasing communications as we're both developing acquisitions and working to understand those commercial practices that I've talked about. Um, and, and I've talked in generic terms, but right now we have an RFI out to gather data on commercial cloud pricing based on feedback that we've received from industries and agencies. So we realized that we didn't truly understand this well enough. And we wanted to go out and ask industry what, you know, some questions about what the practices are in the commercial sector. So expanding that communication so it's not just sort of through, um, uh, through you know, we've released an RFP, we've, here's sort of, you know, here's the documents, but really trying to keep or trying to keep the companies up to date on the on the progress through that. And also, um, I the I do have a blog, the Great Government Through Technology blog, in which we're we're also putting out a lot of information there about not only what some of some of the case studies are where we've seen success, some of the things that we're thinking about progress on some of the on some of our initiatives. Um, that's also another area where just trying to get more information out, so it's it's more uh, it's it's clearer what we're doing, what we're where we're heading as an organization, and what we're focused on. What what did the pandemic look like for you? And it really made me think when you talked about communication. I mean, there wasn't a lot of time for communication between public and private sector during that period you just really had to act as quickly as you can. What did that really look like for you and your team? Because part of, it sounds like part of what your team's tasked with is really taking a look at the future. So I can imagine that you guys were relied on very heavily to understand what were some of the things that government thought they might not need now, but essentially needed now. 
get to get uh, folded into the the ecosystem. What did that look like for you and your team? So on the, I just want to touch on the the comment you made about the future, which is I, I'm working to to move us into being more forward looking. That's um, and looking more than the 12 to 18 months out. So that's been one of my personal priorities for the organiz- for for my organization. During the pandemic, we you know just within our own workforce, we had well tested telework policies, and GSA was really well positioned to support customers without missing a beat. So we were we were in a good place. As an org, as the ITC, what we ended up seeing was a big growth in the business volume as agencies moved to deploy more laptops, more cloud capabilities. Um, and they needed, and the agencies needed to start new initiatives to meet their mission and meet the needs of the pandemic and of the America, uh, the American public, as the agencies were helping um, respond, were responding to that need. So we, just to give you an example, when I say that we saw we saw growth, our business volume was about twenty six and a half billion dollars in FY nineteen. By the end of FY twenty, we had done over thirty billion dollars. So um, over three and a half billion dollars of growth during during that one year period of time. And what I attribute that to, I give those numbers to give you an idea of the scale, but also to the value that ITC was providing to those agencies during that period of time. We were able to move quickly to help customers because we had built those relationships with, with companies and with agencies. And so that people could pick up the phone and make phone calls, quickly understand what was and was not possible. And that's just, I'm just going to highlight that again as a great reminder of the importance of those relationships. You can't build those relationships in a crisis or it's really tough. And so having them already established um, just was truly critical to our ability to rapidly respond. In terms of the process, what what lessons did you and the team learn throughout that period of time? And are, are there any that have carried over and remained more of a constant now in, in kind of the non-pandemic procurement period? Um, absolutely. I'm going to stick on the theme of relationships. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've been doing has been a collaborative effort between um, the Office of Management and Budget and I mentioned already from the GSA, from the OMB IT cate- government-wide category manager role, that working with GSA, NASA, NIH, and DOD, um, we launched an IT vendor management office. And part of that, part of the mission of that office is to improve how we use acquisition intelligence to inform faster and smarter IT buying. And one of the key initiatives on there is by um, building relationships between the original equipment manufacturers for software and agency buyer relationships, and being able to understand some of the challenges that the federal agencies have faced with, um, and being able to take those challenges and then have really work towards some common solutions across the government. So not just a common solution for one contract vehicle in GSA, but really common solutions that will affect the government-wide acquisition community. And that could be standardizing terms and conditions, mitigating government-wide operability and cyber risks, improving data quality, and use in acquisition strategies to, and developing our federal workforce's 
ability to inform and support faster IT, smarter IT buying decisions. So we've been partnering with some of the top software OEMs like Microsoft, AWS, and ServiceNow to solve some of those common challenges. So that's an area that we took that relationships, those relationships that we had, and we and we also began to, to realize that since we are using commercial capabilities, we have any number of agencies who are all using these commercial products. And how do how do we, from the IT vendor management's office point of view, begin to have discussions and um, make progress towards solving some of those challenges that we've been hearing from the agencies? So that's so that sort of builds off the work that we've done in the pandemic, and then transitioning it into something new that we're that we're able to do through these OEM assessments. Um, we've completed four already. We've kicked off three more, and we're really working to resolve those commonly reported issues with OEM terms and conditions. In working with some of these these vendors, are there any highlights you can you can share on some of the challenges you guys have kind of come together to try to address? The challenges have been we've that is that oftentimes that even though the government is um, can be is called the federal government, we often approach these companies and not not just these, but but all companies as really decentralized entities. And so one of the values that we're able to bring through that IT vendor management office is that enterprise voice across the federal government. And that gives us an ability to both gather information across the federal agencies to understand, are we seeing um, inconsistent terms and conditions? Are we identifying operational problems that maybe these companies not are not even aware of? Um, and then bring those challenges to the companies and, and really target how do we make improvements? We've ended up doing some education sessions um, as, a re as a result of this to better help the company, to better help the federal workforce understand how to use these products, what exactly they have, and how, how to get the most out of it. So really driving better value for products and serve and and um, services that we already have in-house. One of the things that you've talked about in terms of accelerating the procurement process is the IT professional services special item numbers. Mm -hmm. How do you see those being influential in accelerating the procurement process? Absolutely. Absolutely. And let, let me just give you a little couple of uh, sort of basic statistics on this, uh, descriptive statistics. In FY22, um, just under $10 billion went through the, um, actually, it was uh, all of the IT professional services SINs. And um, that includes not only the professional services SIN, but the contact center, the healthcare, um, e-commerce, uh, I believe that's the, the full gamut, um, which is, and that's 50% of the schedules IT volume, uh, of the IT schedules volume. So we, which we did uh, about $20 billion across all of mass IT and 10 billion of those, of that went through the, went through the professional services SINs. Um, a few of the key benefits on that truly are that you have a pool um, 
over 4,000 experienced IT professional companies that have worked on government products. These contractors really have the knowledge and the expertise required to design and implement complex IT solutions. There's expedited procurements because um, the solutions are already on the multiple awards schedule, which is saving both time and resources for the federal agencies. Cost savings, um, because we do have, we have competitive rates, uh, we're reducing the administrative burden and re also, also reducing the agency resources required to put these solutions in place. Um, and we're also looking at, we're seeing continued growth as agencies are transitioning to as a service types of capabilities. This is also paired with the market research as a service. And the market research as a service is a, is a set of technology tools and research techniques that really help customers generate a list of vetted GSA industry partners that can fulfill an agency's unique requirement. Um, the, they're working with the customer service directors across GSA to review the category, the special item number, or the contracts that best meet the customer's requirements. And so we're actually able to give customers reports that have um, that that have companies that can meet the needs and and really get those RFIs out there quickly. So recently, this market research as a service generated a multi-million dollar report for a DOD project at um, Nellis Air Force Base, in less than and in California. And in less than two weeks, the team identified 40 potential sources and DOD ultimately found a winning match for that through the IT professional services then. Interesting. Yeah, I can absolutely see how that can accelerate things. Sort of having that that preloaded list of, of opportunities in there for organizations to reach into. It's That could be really important. Absolutely. And it also gives companies visibility into what we're looking for. And um, and gives them an opportunity to do a, a rapid response. So as we start to wrap up, um, I want to ask you a question. What brought you into government and what's keeping you in government? I hear um, from a lot of leaders like yourself that draw for public service and, and how much they love being within the public sector. But I want to know from you specifically, Laura, what brought you into your role and, and what's keeping you there? So I've been with GSA this summer is 26 years. And I started as an intern at the time that I started, the idea of public service was attractive, but I really had very little understanding of it. Um, so I came in through, through a three-year development program. Um, they referred to them as interns. And the more that I learned about the impact that the government has, um, especially within GSA, the opportunity to work across the government, have an impact on the federal agencies and help them meet their missions. The, I, the um, connection to public policy, um, I went and got a master's degree in public policy after I'd been with the government a couple of years because I was I wanted to better understand the impact of policy and operations and how things connected. Um, the being able to have, be in a position where I can work both with industry, with federal agencies, and I can see that the work 
that my team does, truly impacting people's lives is incredibly meaningful. And I'm very humbled at the opportunity to take part in that. So while I walked in the door, um, sort of with this very theoretical idea of public service, over the last quarter century, I've really had the opportunity to take part in it and to feel like I have an opportunity to make a difference to my country. Laura, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners? Um, I just want to say thank you so much, Brian. This has been a great opportunity and really enjoyed having the chance to chat with you today. Absolutely. And I'm, I really enjoyed kind of getting a deeper dive into what you and your team are doing over there at GSA. It's incredible work. Like I said, that first part of your role is more than enough for one person, but all the different uh, tasks that you guys are are committed to is is very impressive. So great work. Thank you very much. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to governmenthuddle.com wherever you access your podcasts. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittister AB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.